Today's episode is brought to you by Canvas. Do you know how long it takes you to measure and model an as-built? Probably more time than you'd like. Canvas replaces hours of manual measuring with a few minutes of scanning with your iPhone or iPad. And Canvas eliminates the hours, if not days, of taking your measurements and turning them into a 3D as-built or 2D floor plan, all for pennies per square foot. You can try Canvas for free and download it at www.canvas.io and make sure to use promo code BF23. That's www.canvas.io and promo code BF23. All right, now back to the show. Hey, I'm Spencer Powell, and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey, and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Nick Schiffer of NS Builders. Nick started the business back in 2014 and at this point has grown the business pretty rapidly and also has turned that into pretty big social following on Instagram, on YouTube, and of course, the podcast, The Modern Craftsman. So really enjoyed going behind the scenes with Nick today and diving into his story. And without further ado, let's dive into the show. Hey, Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. Yeah. Well, let's dive in, I guess. Who are you? What's the company? Where are you guys located? Who am I? What's the company? My name is Nick Schiffer. I own a company called NS Builders here in Boston, Massachusetts. Started as a carpentry company, grew into a remodeling company. And now we do remodeling and new build. And I think every year we kind of evolve from there. And just most recently, last year, we've always had a cabinet millwork side, but we actually separated that into material millwork. So I'm a partner in that company as well. Right on. Cool. Well, let's go back to the beginning. You said yeah. you started as a carpentry company. I guess, what year was it? And maybe just yeah, talk about how it got, got rolling. If we go way back, I sold my first job as Nick Schiffer, as the carpenter, when I was 14, I think. And it was... I, I, I sold sheds. And <laughs> nice. the the... the the short story there is that my father owned a fence company. I started working for him when I was 11 years old. I worked from 11 to 22. And it was from sweeping sweeping the floor to filling the fence fitting bins to running the wood shop, the metal shop, and just kind of all things fabrication. And then I was dealing with some countertop clients or counter like basically counter sale clients, I should say. And I couldn't get over the fact that people constantly came in and was like, hey, do you guys sell sheds? And they were like, my father was like, nope, you go down the street to this place or that place. And I was like, this is an opportunity. So I started building sheds on the side. And, you know, through high school, I was nicknamed Shed Boy. But I was, I was raking it in at, you know, 
15, 14, 16 years old. I'm sure and, you were, uh, yeah. you know, cause I'm just going out there busting my ass for weeks on end. And, you know, ultimately I was making a couple bucks an hour, but it was fun and it was what I like to do. But uh, so that just evolved into doing, you know, Hey, you built my shed. Can you do this? You know, I have one client that I built their shed. I ended up doing a bunch of rot repair, siding repair, interior trim, and that just evolved and, and continued to snowball. And when I graduated college, I ended up getting hired by this developing company that did high-rise construction in downtown Boston, did a renovation project with them for about two years, and then got transferred to their new construction high-rise division where I was a assistant super, then an assistant PM for about three years. And all during that time, I loved the job from like what I was learning, but I just lost the craftsmanship. And I started taking on more and more side work to the point where I was renovating kitchens literally. And I had one guy that, you know, empty house, he was like, Hey, I need this kitchen done. Can you renovate it? Sure. And I would leave work at five, pick up dinner on the way, and I'd work to like midnight. And that just got to a point where obviously I couldn't sustain. So I decided to give my notice, go go off my own. I wanted to be a carpenter. I just wanted to be a one-man show and just be a carpenter. I loved carpentry. I, I liked renovating and I liked doing that work and thought I that thought that that was what I was going to do forever. And I quickly realized I needed help. So I hired my brother, I hired my cousin, I hired friends and and all of that was fine and dandy, but it wasn't really like the growth mindset. It was just fulfilling a need. You know, my friends needed a job and I needed help. So we just did that. But I, when I left that development job, the architect that was on that job bought a house, wanted to do a gut renovation and said, Hey, I, you know, you want to price it? And I said, Sure. Biggest job, you know, like going out of the gate, it was, yeah, <laughs> I think it was 25 or 3,000 square feet. And funny enough, I actually pulled up that contract just not too long ago. And my contract was like $180,000, like not. <laughs> Not a big contract for a gut renovation, but it was just me. It was like, you know, I thought I could do it. And I certainly didn't make, I mean, I put money in the bank account, but you know, my hourly rate was nothing. Yeah. In the gutter. Yeah, for sure. In the gutter. And so that connection, because he, you know, he really appreciated the role I fulfilled as a APM and, you know, wanted to give me the job and just kind of referred me and, and it just snowballed from there. You know, That's one cool. job after the other, you know, getting in with some high profile clients. And then I, I started growing and I started hiring and Mike, who's still with me today was one of my first real hires. And I, and I don't want to diminish, you know, two of my good friends, Chris and Brian were, you know, great employees of mine They, you know, one went on to be a firefighter. The other one went on to get into site work, both of what their true passion was, but they helped me like they were working alongside me early on. But Mike was the true real hire that came on like to to replace what I was doing. Yeah. And, yeah. and that in that moment, I remember being like, okay, Mike is someone who loves this as much as me, if not more. What if I start hiring and collecting people like him? <laughs> like, how cool would it be to just be this this team of people that all have the same mindset? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So what year was it that you 2014 Wait. is okay. when I quit. When you uh, quit and said, yeah. okay, I'm doing this full time. Okay. And I'll never, like, it was funny, man. There's a couple things about that. So number one, I, I made my last day, like the last day of the year, because I was so afraid that like my taxes would get screwed up. <laughs> Knowing nothing about taxes. I was like, I'm starting my business on 1-1-2014. 
I did and the same thing. I don't know why. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's like at this, <laughs> but I gave my notice, and my boss at the time was like, "Dude, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, let's can you make it work?" And you know, at the time, like I was making a pretty decent salary. I, you know, I mean, I'll if you, I'll divulge the numbers at the time. Like, I think I was making seventy something thousand dollars a year. But I was also able to make up to forty percent of my salary in bonuses, yeah. so it's a pretty, a pretty substantial salary at the time. And sure. I remember, I remember talking literally every single person I talked to about quitting told me no. And the reason they told me no is because my I was offered by my company, I mean by the company I worked for, to stay on for another ninety days for thirty percent of my salary in addition to what I was already making. Like on the spot, like they would offer me the 30, 30% of my salary right there and then. And everyone's like, of course, take that. Like, take that money, start your business in in, in three months. And I mean, everyone said that. Yeah, I'm and, sure. Yeah. And I and I didn't do it. And they were like, What do you why? I'm like, because in in 90 days, what's gonna happen is they're just gonna bump my salary up and they're gonna give me more money and whatever it and and I just and smart of them right like it wasn't i don't blame them like i was leaving and i was going to leave a big hole in what we were doing there so i just said you know i appreciate it but i'm i'm going to go and do this on my own and you know i was i i was nervous i like i had a few small jobs lined up and i didn't actually have that big gut renovation lined up at the time but i remember in my like boss's boss his superior came to like say, you know, find out what was going on. And I gave him the rundown. He goes, all right, you know, like it would be different if you were going to work for someone, but since you're going off on your own, I appreciate that. I wish you luck. Just know this. If it doesn't work out in a week, a month, a year, five years, your job is here. And I remember when he walked out of the room, I'm like, damn, I literally have nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, obviously like it's super easy for him to say that and he might not even mean it, but what that did in that moment was okay. <laughs> the world's my oyster. Like this is it. I'm gonna go after everything, and if it doesn't work, I'm just gonna call them and go back to work. Yeah, it's a great spot to be in. And then you had your first job as this this big project. Yeah, and, yeah, that's pretty wild. That doesn't always happen. <laughs> no, and everyone's yeah. like, "How'd you know when to leave?" And I tell the story a couple of different ways, like from different perspectives. And one of them is that, you know, I, my now wife, but she was my girlfriend at the time. I always mentioned that she gave me this ultimatum, which when I tell the story in front of her, she's like, that's not true. <laughs> and I was like, well, I feel like in some ways you did, because I was this guy that you just started dating that, I mean, I guess we had been dating for one, two, two years at that point. So we were, I guess we were dating for two years. And, but we had like, we're dating and I am working or literally around the clock, like to the point where I would, I would drive back. She lived in the city. I lived outside the city. I would drive outside the city, do work. And then I would drive back in the city and stay at her place because it was closer to my work in the city. So it just wasn't sustainable. And, you know, and despite like everything that, that benefited us from maybe a financial standpoint, it just wasn't the life that, you know, we could totally sustained. So in my eyes, I was like, maybe she didn't give me the ultimatum, but I, I knew in my mind that this wasn't going to be a, a, a viable relationship if I continued. So I, that's what ended up pushing me to just go off my own. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So what was the first year like? And I guess from a business perspective, I know you had the big project, but anything you, you remember about that year that just 
looking back on it was either like super challenging or you're like, I can't believe I did it that way. The first year, I mean, no, it, it was just time. I was just putting hours upon hours into things and not truly charging for it. You know, it was, you know, the best way I describe it. And, and when I talk to other people about like starting a business, when you start hiring people, if you decide a task takes a thousand dollars, you know, say it's 10 hours and you're charging a hundred dollars an hour, and then it takes you 20 hours to do, you're still putting the same exact amount of money in your pocket. It just took you longer. So in that moment, when you're like a, like a solo guy, you're still got the thousand dollars. It just took you longer to get there. But the moment you hire someone and it takes them 20 hours, you just put a thousand dollars and then another thousand dollars in their pocket. And only the client only paid for the first thousand because we were, you know, at the time I didn't know about cost plus or time and material. It was just, you know, how long, like, what's this going to cost? Oh, 180 grand. Great. Sign the contract. Guy got a steal, you know? Yeah. So that, I think that was probably the biggest lesson that year is that I need to understand that, you know, my time is, there's a value behind my time. And as I continue to grow throughout the years, I realized that that value is much higher than like a billable rate. And now fast forward, you know, I'm an owner, I'm focused on business and I'm not, I'm not tools on, I'm not even really on the job site every day. You know, while I get involved with it, it's not my daily routine. And now I realize that, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be so much about trading time for money. And in the early years, it, that's all it was. You know, I was selling my time. It, you know, you're paying for the time I put into it in the very moment. There was no value associated with all of the time and effort I put into getting to that point in my life or in my career. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, just that shift to value pricing instead of, yeah, just time, time for money. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. What do you think has been one of the toughest parts of growing the business from kind of that that first job to where you are now? People. And I could answer that in seven different directions. But I think the most important thing that I've... And also the most difficult is clearly communicating and setting expectations. And I say people, I don't mean just the people that work for NS. NS. I don't mean the people... And I don't mean just the clients. I mean everyone. 
you know, you've got to set, you have to set these really clear expectations with all everyone that's involved. And it's, you know, silly things like early on, it's like, what's our vacation policy? I'm like, shit, I got to do a vacation. And I would like Google a vacation policy and, you know, figure out like what made sense. I'm like, here it is. And it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the vacation policy now. And it just became this like whole HR thing where I'm like, I'm just not prepared for this. It's, you know, like people taking time off. I'm like, I don't even know how to handle this situation. So I think that was the most difficult thing is just understanding how to set these expectations with people. And even to this day, it's, you know, we're, you know, having better job descriptions. And now it's like, we're really focused on career pathing and trying to figure out like, if someone's going to come on board as a carpenter, I want them to understand how they grow in their career and how they make more money and how they can choose to either go down the supervisor road or stay in the carpentry road. And I don't have that clearly defined. And that freaks me out because I know that that's why people leave. It's like, I don't know. I don't even know if I have the opportunity to grow or make more money. So I'm out. This guy over here told me I can make more money. I think the other side of it is the financial side. And it was something I didn't spend enough time on early on. My my whole thing was it, it was the thing. Yeah, the first few years of my business is that. All right, next week I'm taking next week off, and I'm gonna do my financials. I mean, once a year, hmm. and wow. I would go through and I'd print out all my bank statements and go through and like categorize stuff. And like I I thought I was the you know the bee's knees, and then I kick it over to my tax guy, and he's like, hey, th- we gotta clean this up. I'm like, all right, and he's like, it's gonna cost you five grand. I'm like, sure, okay, <laughs> and he pay him five grand, and then he's like, all right, you got a hundred twenty thousand dollar tax liability. I'm like, and I remember being mad. I'm like, dude, you're supposed to be like preventing this and like telling me to buy a truck before the end of the year. He's like, <laughs> you don't have your stuff ready. Like you're doing this at like after the fact. So that as I went and and when I finally hired a, a bookkeeper and a, a CFO and accountant and things like that and getting those people in place and the processes in place, which was a nightmare. Like it was 18 months of just back and forth and like, Hey, Nick, you need to do this. I'm like, yeah, I know. And like, no, no, you need to do this now. And looking back, it's like foolish that I didn't do it sooner. You know, looking back, it's, it's frustrating. So people in, in, in finances, those were the two difficult ones. Yeah. Yeah. Those are big. And I know it's so interesting. I mean, I think there are some people that like go to school for this, right. And they learn it that way. And so, but I mean, a lot of people have similar paths where you just kind of you jump in and you're like oh (laughs) i guess this is like when when you were yeah and when you were talking about like oh what's our vacation policy and then you go google it reminded me of the first time i I bought a house and then i was gonna move and rent it out and that was kind of my plan for building up the real estate portfolio and and the first time i like showed it to non-family right it was like okay i'm getting renters in here and they walk through and they're like, okay, well, how do we apply? And I was like, oh, I'll send you the paperwork after. And then immediately they leave and I'm like Googling, like, how do I do a background check? How do I do all this stuff? But I feel like that's a lot of entrepreneurship is just, you totally, know, yeah. figured out on the fly. And you know, and there's, and, and I don't want to discredit that there, there's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm open in the sense that I'm, I'll very rarely say no to something, even if I'm super uncomfortable with it or I don't know how to do it. My knee-jerk reaction is yes, because I know that if I say yes and I commit to it, I will go figure it out. And you know, there there's limitations to that, of course. But the the you know, ultimately, like that's that that is how I react to things. So yeah. you know, 
years later, someone asks us, hey, we want to build this bunk bed and we want to hang it from the ceiling. Can you do it? Yes. And I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. <laughs> and we figured it out. And it's super cool. And like, but that's the fun part of what we do. And if you can, if you can kind of understand that like all you need is a little confidence and then the tenacity to then go figure it out and actually do a good job with it. You know, if you can do both, you're like that, then entrepreneurship is for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, speaking of like interesting projects, we always ask if there's like crazy client story, wacky projects, something wild, like anything coming to mind that you can share with us? Define crazy. I'll let you define it. (laughs) It just something different, something that's not your typical project. (laughs) Not my typical project. I mean, there's there's one that sticks out of my head, which I don't even know if I'm legally allowed to talk about, but... Yeah, you know, leave out what you think you need to leave out. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like this goes back to something I said in the beginning is setting expectation and clear communication. And we took this project on in a point in our career that we needed to, meaning like we didn't have the work and we needed to take this job on and it seemed really clear cut and it was going to be a great project for us. And we got creative design, like we we were leading design, like it was just amazing. And just a caveat to that, like this individual also hired us because of our social media presence and because how much we shared. He loved that part of it. Mm, and like sure. liked seeing it and, want, and couldn't wait to be the product of it, right? So uh, long story short, we we signed a contract with him. Actually, no, first mistake, we we did not sign a contract. And, uh, and it's the only time I've ever not si- signed a contract. And I'm not going to go Why was that? Or, yeah, um, better. yeah. Why was that? Because it never really solidified as to what our scope was. It ah, just kept yeah. evolving, and I and and it and there was a slight feeling of a personal relationship that I wasn't overly concerned with. Sure. Long story short, the project evolved. You know, four X, and you know, and we essentially got to a point where. You know, our my, one of my teammates was threatened, saying that they were going to take legal action on us because we're not upholding our schedule and budget, and and that the way we were billing was illegal, and they were going to come after for after us for all of it. And I and he told my, of course, my super calls me and tells me I'm like, okay, like what schedule, what budget are we talking about? And the the long and short of it is it we we were thrown off the job. We were, you know, served papers multiple times. M- most of the time they came on around holidays, like it would be like mm-hmm. Christmas Eve. And it just turned wow. into this bullying effect. And we and the work was phenomenal. And it was then it turned into your work is subpar. It became a harassing thing on social media, like don't hire it, like and it just became belligerent. And, yeah. you know, we had to, we were told to remove everything from social media because the, they were being harassed by people. So all of this stuff happened. And it was just really frustrating because I went into it with best intention and my team went into it with best intention. And in every moment of that situation, being yelled at, being served, like I kept my cool and I would hang up the phone and I would say, how did I do this? What did I miss? And it's not the fact that I didn't have a contract in place because at the end of the day, it wouldn't have mattered. It was the fact that I didn't set and communicate clear expectations 
And we just went into it completely balls to the wall without having any parameters set in place. And, you know, and we did that because we broke our normal, we broke the normal process in which we do a project by going through planning and and pre-construction and everything else. So why do I tell that story? I don't know. I guess the, here's a piece of advice that I, that I did learn from it, which has changed our, our, our entire business and contract and, and everything we do contractually is that being that we are cost plus in that moment, we, we were cost plus, we did not have our hourly rates specified in our contract. Mm. So what happened was that we were served papers saying we need the burden breakdown for each of your employees. Uh, And I had said, that's, you know, what did I say? That's, you know, uh, classified information or something. Yeah. Proprietary or something. Proprietary. And they were like negative, like (laughs) you, you, you are a cost plus and you need to charge cost plus. That's what we agreed to not cost plus plus. And because our rates were basically a marked up version to cover our burden and a little additional profit. For sure. Makes sense. So what happened there is we couldn't, like we proved our burden and I wrote him a check for 200 grand because of all the additional profit that we were supposed to make on the job. And I sat down with my my lawyer. This is when I actually, I I had a, a lawyer during this time and he was terrible. So I ended up switching lawyers because I needed someone like to help me with this. And so when we rewrote our contract in cost plus, we, I was like, how do I avoid this? He's like, you need to classify your hourly rates. So now we have an exhibit in all of our contracts. We are still cost plus, but the hourly rates are a billable rate. And that billable rate will be $75 an hour. Despite what that person's making, despite the burden, there's always baked in profit on top of that. So now when we go into a project, if we're, you know, say we're, we're plus 15% or 20%, whatever it is, we're that, but we're also making money on any self-performed labor. And so I, I learned this by obviously failing at it, but I also realized, and, and I've had the question like, well, why would you make money on self-performed labor when you're already making money? Like you're double dipping the profit. I'm like, we look at it this way. If we self-perform, we're taking more risk. So we should make more money and, and be rewarded for it. If we decide not to self-perform that work and I go higher, if a client says, I don't want to pay your, I don't want to pay a markup on top of your markup, that's fine. I'll go sub it out. And the rates that I'm going to pay the subcontractor are equal to what I'm billing you. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not like I'm, you're not paying a premium for us to self-perform it. We are just t- deciding to take the risk by self-performing it, thus get the reward. Yeah, makes sense. Oh, that's a good a good lesson from that. Well, thanks for sharing that story. Would imagine it was many, many weeks or maybe months of yeah, agony working through it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the pimple that never goes away, you know. Well, cool. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing. I guess I'm also curious just to hear about like what the vision is for the company. Totally, uh, maybe next three to five years, something like that. As I kind of alluded to in the beginning, we we were remodeling, we're getting into new construct where we are in new construction. And as we look forward my vision and my goal is really to start building a very particular style of home mm. and be and and build it as a pro, almost like a product or a piece of art right where i want our homes to have similar taste similar aesthetic and and really carve our place into you know building art pieces and I, and that might sound 
super bougie or whatever. But the my point is, is that we want to create product that speaks to us and like our true creativity. So I think that for the next few years, say three years, our focus is going to be moving towards more of buying and building and selling. Cool. And there's a whiteboard behind me you can't see, but it's littered with notes about this and how we get there. And our our thought is that we'll build this to get to like a 75% development side and then 25% of it will be custom. But the customs will be fed by the creativity of the development where it's, you know, they're like, I love what you guys build, but I, I want it here or I already have a lot or I want, I own this house and I want to knock it down. Like that's the way we would approach it. Because right now we're, you know, essentially a, a huge funnel and we're taking on projects that are all kind of all over the place. And I don't want to just be another builder. I don't want to just be another general contractor, builder, contractor that takes work and executes it, you know, just regardless of what it is or how, you know, what it looks like in the end. I want our product to be specific to us. That's cool. Yeah. Well, we'll have to do a, a check-in in a, in a year or two as you guys do it. kind of hone that in. But I really like that because I feel like one of the trickiest things I think about this industry is actually differentiation, you mm-hmm. know, and you know, you look at all the sites and it's quality, it's service, it's been in business 20 years, like they all look the same. Then end of the day, there are very few companies within the industry that I feel like have carved out something that's true differentiation. Mm-hmm. I think you can win, obviously win business lots of different ways, but this to me hit hit me over the head with that actually is a way to truly differentiate. It's like we have right, a, right. a style or a pro, like you talked about as a product. So I'll be, yeah, I'll be super interested to, to follow up on that because I think it sounds like an amazing path to, to go down. Yeah. Yeah. And it's at the same time, wildly overwhelming. And we talk about this as a three-year plan, but up on the board in front of me says six months. So <laughs> yeah. well, we should definitely talk in 12. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pencil it in for a year then. Well, Nick, wrap us up one final piece of advice, some words of wisdom for other remodelers out there listening. Yeah. I mean, it really just comes down to being really, I'm going to use a lot of buzzwords, but intentional, be a really good communicator. Let's just stick with that. Let's be a really good communicator because that is ultimately, if you ask anyone that's ever renovated a project and you ask them what their biggest frustration was, they're going to tell you it was something to do with communication. And if you can be the guy that is a better communicator, then you are going to have a way better experience and opportunity ahead of you. I like it. Well said. Nick, thanks so much for carving out the time. I appreciate it, man. Of course, man. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.